the mechanism will be mandatory. So all member states have to contribute solidarity, but it's flexible. They can choose which kind of solidarity they offer to the states that are under pressure. What is called in the EU a financial contribution, Poland perceives as a punishment. Uh, they do not want to agree for. Hello and welcome to Directives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and in this episode we take a look at EU's agreement on the Asylum and Migration Pact. Who are the winners and the losers of the agreement and why does Poland want to create a coalition to block the pact? EU member states have reached a consensus on the Asylum and Migration Pact, which aims to improve the management of incoming asylum seekers and distribute their responsibility more evenly. While it's many countries, the ones in the front line, like Cyprus, Greece, Italy, Spain and Malta, hailed it a historic agreement, Poland announced that it will block the pact regarding the relocation of migrants. As for now, the Polish government has the support of every political party in the country to push back the Council's agreement. For Poland, there is a main opposition regarding the Asylum and Migration Pact, the principles of voluntariness for migrants and receiving nations. The government's rhetoric is that the concept of relocations would act as a catalyst for increased immigration. At the same time, financial support for the frontline countries isn't something Poland is opting for. But before we get into more details on why Poland will attempt to build a coalition in the European Parliament against the solutions agreed by the Council, let's break down the Migration Pact itself. What are the new elements added to the agreement and where are we at for now? So the pact is a set of legal reforms that were proposed by the European Commission in 2020. The member states of the EU have agreed on their position on these reforms. What they've agreed is likely to become law, and this will change EU asylum law in a number of different ways. Catherine Wallard is director at the European Council on Refugees and Exiles. The EU has what is called the Common European Asylum System, which is a set of different EU laws that govern how member states manage their asylum systems. So this concerns allowing access to an asylum procedure, how to manage an asylum procedure, what kind of reception conditions, accommodation, material conditions uh, asylum seekers should be granted, and also the famous Dublin Regulation. The Dublin Regulation is a European Union law that determines the responsibility for examining asylum applications among EU member states. It establishes the criteria for determining which member state is responsible for processing an asylum seeker's application. The regulation aims to prevent multiple asylum claims and ensure a fair and efficient system by designating the first EU country of entry as responsible for processing the application. However, the Dublin regulation has been subject to criticism and calls for reform due to its disproportionate burden on frontline states and concerns regarding the protection of asylum seekers' rights. And with this new regulation, EU interior ministers negotiated how the frontline states will receive support through a solidarity mechanism. Although this legislation follows the Dublin regulation, this time around we have practical changes when it comes to the repatriation and distribution of refugees to European countries. 
The main changes that are part of last week's agreement include expanded use of the border procedure. That means more people will have their asylum application heard at the border in a shorter, in our view, second-rate asylum procedure. And those asylum procedures at the border will almost always take place in detention. So people will be housed in detention centres at the border. That's something that looks very much like the model that we see on uh, the Greek islands. So that's one change. There's a number of other uh, procedural changes which create a very complex labyrinth of different requirements for managing asylum procedures. And that can make it more difficult for people to have a fair procedure because it's hard to even understand what the procedural requirements are. On the other hand, a more positive change is the introduction of a so-called solidarity mechanism. And this is a way to show solidarity, actually not with refugees, but with the member states at the EU's external borders, which have a higher level of responsibility for managing asylum applications. What's been agreed is that the mechanism will be mandatory, so all member states have to contribute solidarity, but it's flexible, which means that they can choose which kind of solidarity they offer to the states that are under pressure. And some of them will be offering relocation, which is transferring people who arrive out of the countries at the border and to other places in the EU. When it comes to the relocation, there will be a minimum annual number for relocations from member states, and the number is set at uh, uh, 30,000. Alexandra Krzysztosek is reporting for Euractive Poland. And the minimum annual number for financial contributions will be fixed at 20,000 euros per relocation. A final element to mention is that there is also a focus on transferring responsibility to countries outside the EU. So there's an attempt to encourage uh, the use of, of transfers to countries that are classed as safe countries, although sometimes you can have doubts that as to whether or not they really are safe for people, but to transfer people to those countries so that they manage and they host uh, the, the people seeking protection in Europe instead of those people remaining in the EU. But which third party countries are considered safe for refugees and how safe are they in practice? This idea has been used in the case of the EU-Turkey deal. And under that agreement, Turkey is classed as a so-called safe third country for Syrian refugees who arrive in Greece. And then the idea of that agreement from 2016 is that Turkey is considered safe. So instead of having protection in the EU, those refugees will be sent back to Turkey. Uh, There have been over the years many questions about that agreement itself. Um, Turkey in many ways is is not safe, uh, even for Syrians and certainly not for people of other nationalities uh, because there are limited 
protection uh, options in Turkey. And there's also cases where people are being uh, transferred back to their country of origin where this is not safe. And these are also ways in which the EU countries try to avoid their own responsibility. And the vast majority of refugees are hosted outside Europe. And the EU, uh, EU countries, uh, with the exception of Germany, most EU countries are not major refugee hosting countries. So they should at least be taking on responsibility for a certain proportion of refugees globally rather than trying to transfer responsibility elsewhere. And the other element and the other critique of this approach is that Many countries don't want to be hosting refugees when they think Europe should also be doing its fair share uh, to manage global displacement. So it, it, it tends to require pressure or bribery or threats to get another country to agree to be uh, a place where Europe can send people. And we don't see it any other countries being willing to play that role. NGOs and human rights organizations are concerned about elements of the pact that could violate the rights of refugees and migrants, but they're also concerned about their living conditions. We're concerned about many elements in the pact. It does reduce the protection standards in Europe. It means that more people will be held in detention and have uh, be subject to second-rate asylum procedures. The idea of the pact is based on limiting the number of people who have access to international protection in Europe. So it's not something that that we support. At the same time, we argue that the focus should be focusing on implementation of EU and international law uh, and tackling the violations that take place on a daily basis, particularly at the borders, but not only. So the idea that a reform will change everything, I think it is, um, it is a bit naive. We would hope that now this agreement is reached, there can be a, a turn to look at compliance with the law and a focus on getting member states to respect all the different standards that they're supposed to be abiding by. So, for instance, respecting uh, the rules that exist on provision of reception conditions, for example, but also managing fair asylum procedures. So who are the winners and the losers of this pact? One of the winners is the European Commission that proposed these reforms and has now got the member states to agree. So that's on the one hand. The member states at the borders, I think, are one of the losers because this agreement increases their responsibilities and the solidarity measures are quite limited. Uh, At the same time, there is no major change to the Dublin rules. The countries that wanted to have an expanded use of the border procedure so that people are contained at the borders and not coming to their countries. They are some of the winners here. So that's France or the Netherlands and also Sweden that that, uh, focused on this. The countries that tried to defend some of the positions based on respect for people's rights, including Germany, Portugal, Ireland, Luxembourg, Unfortunately, these countries um, 
didn't win in the negotiations and some of what they were proposing was ignored or they decided to concede. And we would say that, unfortunately, refugees seeking protection in Europe are losers in this agreement because it's more likely that they will be held in detention and have a, a low standard asylum procedure. And there's probably a greater risk that they will be sent to a country which is classed as safe for them, but probably isn't safe. Um, there's also perhaps a greater risk of pushbacks because the countries at the border, instead of managing people in detention centres, which is very controversial, they may decide instead to prevent people from entering their countries. You're listening to Euroactive SP on the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euroactive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech, agri-food and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcasts at euroactive.com. Now, according to Piotr Müller, conservative law and justice government spokesman, Poland will attempt to block the Migration and Asylum Pact that the Council adopted on the 8th of June and build a coalition of opponents. During the voting process, Poland and Hungary were the only member countries to vote against. So, Catherine, do you think this is something that the EU should worry about? No, Poland and Hungary are irrelevant. Um, the decision has been taken that this will pass by QMV, the Qualified Majority Voting, so Poland and Hungary are not needed and their extreme anti-asylum position has not dominated the discussion, despite our concerns about what has been agreed. It's a long way from being the kind of position that those two countries support. So indeed, Poland and Hungary may not be needed, but why is Poland trying to form a coalition to ban the pact in the first place? Government spokesman Piotr Miller said on Monday, Poland is not going to accept the migration and asylum regulation at any further stage of the legislative process, and it believes the adopted solutions will only encourage human traffickers. Warsaw actually rejects both the relocation and the alternative means of contribution, which the government believes are a financial punishment for Poland for refusing to comply with the system. Uh, the spokesman appealed to all the Polish members of the European Parliament, regardless to what political group they belong, to vote against the regulation so that Poland is not embraced with the obligations. When it comes to a potential coalition, you asked, Miller said the Polish government hoped that the negotiation position agreed last week would return to the Council, but Warsaw would also lobby in the European Parliament for the regulation to be rejected. The Polish government neither wants to receive asylum seekers nor pay. So what is the alternative solution that it's proposing? The basic argument by Poland is that it should not be forced to accept any more refugees nor pay the financial contributions, as Poland has already received a huge number of Ukrainian refugees and provides them with basic social services, including, for example, health care and child benefits. So, as President Andrzej Duda said uh, during the Weimar Triangle Summit uh, on Monday, 
Poland fulfills its moral obligation and shouldn't be forced to do even more. And at the same time, Poland has not put forward any alternative solutions so far to replace all the mechanisms that was already adopted. So it's basically about Polish involvement into that mechanism. Uh, should the countries that received most Ukrainian refugees be excluded from the mechanism or the burden on such countries be lightened in some way? I believe there is some chance for the regulation to survive in its current form. And it appears that the Migration and Asylum Pact is uniting all the political parties in Poland, as even the leftist parties are proposing that Poland should not receive or provide for other refugees than Ukrainian refugees. There is a wide consensus among the parties uh, that Poland should not be forced to receive additional asylum seekers apart from the Ukrainian refugees it accepts. Uh, the ruling Law and Justice Party is accusing the biggest opposition party, the Civic Platform, that it was its government that agreed for relocation quotas in 2015. Still, Civic Platform MP Boris Budka recently said that the party will not agree for relocation should it come back to power after the election this autumn. Moreover, he accused Prime Minister Morawiecki of inability to pass through the Polish interest in the EU. Also, the left believes that forcing Poland to accept more refugees is unjust. Krzysztof Bosak from the far-right Confederation Party went as far as to joke that Poland should actually propose that countries that accept refugees should pay 20,000 uh, 20, euros for each admitted refugee. So it's basically about the election coming. No party wants to lose votes uh, due to its hard uh, migration position. I am Evi Kiori, and this was your Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Reactive to stay on top of the latest news, and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening, and until next week.